you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. This is your Monday NBA weekend recap brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Join me on today's episode, Albert Wynn. He's the analytics capper. You can find him on Twitter at analytics capper. Albert, how was your weekend? Weekend was great. Spent a lot of time with the family. Weather was beautiful here in Texas. Um, And then there was awesome football games and basketball games all weekend. So I had a great time. What about you? Yeah, had a good one. Enjoyed it. Uh, finally able to take a little bit of a break from being at Ball Arena, which it seems like I'm at every single night with the Nuggets li- home schedule lately. Back at it again tonight as we record this on a Monday afternoon with the Nuggets facing the Los Angeles Lakers. And speaking of those Nuggets, in our opening segment today, we are going to talk about the Denver Nuggets. We'll also get to the most important covers of the week. And we'll talk about what if we had to bet the awards, what we would bet as we do every Monday. But let's start with a conversation about the Denver Nuggets, who this last week they took out the Boston Celtics. They absolutely annihilated, annihilated the Clippers on national television and then turned around on back to back and hung before garbage time. What was a 140 offensive rating on the number one defense in the NBA and the Cleveland Cavaliers? The Nuggets said the top of the Western Conference tied in the loss column with the Memphis Grizzlies at 26 and 13. They are a full, as I count this, uh, eight games up on the division. So looking pretty good there. And they're also eight games up on the play in tournament. So we're going to talk about whether or not the essential question is, can the Nuggets, can the Denver Nuggets really win an NBA title? Are they worth your bet? They are plus 1100 to win the NBA title at FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor of Buckets, and plus 470 to win the Western Conference at FanDuel. They have the number one offense on clean the glass, overtaking the Boston Celtics this last weekend. Uh, They are second at dunks and threes because of their 28th rated offensive strength of schedule. Their defense is 23rd at dunks and threes and 24th at cleaning the glass. They are 16th in defense the last two weeks, and that's after playing the Boston Celtics, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers, two of those teams being excellent offensively. Um, 
so it's interesting if you look at kind of at where the market is, like the Nuggets are significantly behind some of the other Western Conference contenders. There is a built-in bias here as we kind of examine the the Western Conference market and as it relates to the title market. It, to me, it's a little surprising uh, given that this has been a trendy team that sharp betters have liked for years. They've uh, they've liked the Nuggets consistently. And yet when you kind of look at it, the Warriors are plus 900, the Clippers are plus 1,000. Uh, and the Nuggets are plus eleven hundred, so they're a full two bucks behind the Warriors in this category. The Warriors, I don't mind as much, just based off of look, you know, they're going to be okay. They're going to get Steph back, and they've won the title every time that they've been healthy at the end. That that to me means a lot. Um, the Clippers being above them is interesting. I understand a little bit of it just based off of the one the handle that they must have taken in preseason on the Clippers. Um, And then two, like, yeah, you know what, with all the regular season struggles, yada, 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 they still have Kawhi, they still have PG and a very good coach. But I do kind of wonder if the Nuggets are being underrated here because uh, when I watch this team, Albert, I see a team that presents more problems offensively than any other team in the Western Conference. The questions will be about their defense. We could talk about that in a second, but I kind of wonder if the Nuggets, for a number of reasons, are being a little undervalued in the market. I'll be completely frank with you, Matt. I think they're 100% being disrespected. Uh, They had the two-time MVP, arguably the best player in the world right now. I know it's been a couple years since the bubble run where they made the Western Conference Finals, but this is the team that we expected to take the next step the the following year before a couple injuries, right? Jamal Murray's ACL, uh, Michael Porter's been in and out, you know, his entire career and his entire basketball life, to be honest. Um, But with that being said, like, this is what we expected, right? We, We expected Jokic to continue to be the standard, the consistent performer, the MVP. And then once they get Jamal, uh, sorry, Jamal Murray back, you know, over a year removed from ACL injury, over a year removed from rehab, you expected him to, you know, take that next step, get back to a level. He'll probably never get back to that bubble level. I mean, Jamal Murray was playing like a top five player at the time in that bubble. Um, We expected Michael Porter to come back. And then a lot of their young guys are really performing as well. Mike Malone is an underrated coach. It's one of those things, Matt, where I feel like the market disrespects a team until they get there. But that's that's those are the opportunities. Those are the spots that as betters we should really look at, right? Probably no one really respected the Heat in 06 before they won. No one really respected the Mavericks in 2011 before they won, right? So by the time they win one, you're gonna you're gonna lose this opportunity. So I I think Denver arguably has a shot at not, not only the Western Conference, but the finals. But I think they're the best team right now outside of the Nets. And KD just got hurt, so we'll get into that uh, injury in a little bit. But I, I agree, man. I think the Nuggets are 100% disrespected. They have the the best home court advantage in the NBA right now. I believe they're tied with Memphis, 16-3 and three at home. Um, the, only, the only thing that I would be cautious about is, is their point differential, their rating. I think they're eighth in the NBA, but I think a lot of that was just because Jamal Murray and Porter were getting back from their injuries. They were playing really bad defense, Matt, full disclosure, for like a month there. They've improved a lot since, and I think that that number is going to get wider and wider. Yeah, you know, talking to the players, the the conversation was was largely about, you know, what what are the issues on defense? And they said two things. They're like, one, we just got to get on the same page in terms of communication. They've cleaned a lot of that up, and that's been KCP 
Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon taking the lead on that. And then two is basically just like an effort thing. Like they were coasting early in the season. Yeah. And then they were like, the challenge was, hey, we need to see you guys actually give a shit. And so they gave a shit and they wiped out every team that they faced at home. They had an extremely road heavy schedule start so they were facing bad teams but they were all on the road once they've had this opportunity to get home and kind of fatten up at home they've stabilized a lot on both ends of the floor the other thing i keep thinking about on defense is it's i'm never gonna i'm never gonna get to a point where i don't think defense matters it's always gonna matter getting stops is absolutely important the nuggets have changed my opinion on two things with, with defense over the years and this started back with their first playoff run it's why it's funny when people are like Jokic hasn't won anything and i was like he's been eliminated in the first round once one yeah. time when he was without murray and mpj he was missing two starters and austin rivers was starting that's the only time he's been eliminated in the first round but the real key with them defensively is that it's not that they have a great defense or that they're going to have a great defense It's that they have defensive answers is that for whatever matchup they face, they can find enough answers to get by. If we look at the overall course of the season, offense has obviously, I think, been the dominant story this season. We've got guys going off for 40 every single night. Efficiency's way up across the board. We're seeing all time offensive marks every season for the last three. I don't know that defense has ever mattered less in the NBA, like just point blank teams have solved so much of the things just by the simple, the spacing that's that's in, uh, involved and then the way that the game is called. You can't contain on the perimeter because you can't make any contact. So yeah. guys are driving, so you have to bring help, which opens up three-pointers and guys are shooting great from three. So with all that said, the fact that Denver is not as good defensively 10 years ago, that would have been a disqualifying mark for me. And now I'm kind of like, I don't know. Can they, like, all they got to do is be able to slow you down enough for their offense because I don't have... I will tell you, usually when I look at the team, like with the Memphis Grizzlies, they're going to play Steven Adams off the floor by, by attacking the drop coverage. And then when they go small, they're going to play off of certain shooters. They're going to dare Dylan Brooks to beat them. That's going to be the model for taking on, on Memphis. With the Pelicans, we've already seen it where it's leave Herb Jones open. And then when they have their kind of full complement, a lot of it's going to be, you know, live with CJ McCollum scoring, challenge Zion with multiple defenders, et cetera. There are answers. I don't know what you do with this Nuggets team offensively. So I agree with you. I think the imperative of defense has lessened, especially in the regular season as the years go on. But we've talked about this in the past. Once you get to the final four, so the conference championships, I think defenses, coaching, uh, you know, scheming, uh, things like that, get, just get up a tick a, a, a couple levels. And I, I think... And honestly, you're right. Like when it comes to defense, a lot of it comes down to just pure effort anyway. So the team that, you know, quote unquote, were bad at defense a, a month ago is the same exact team. Now they've just got, gotten a lot better. And you mentioned some of those guys uh, when it comes to communication that does, you know, hinge to the fact that these are newcomers coming into a new team, new system, new coaching staff. So the fact that, you know, they're already this good, this quick, only month three in the season. I mean, props to them. I think, like I said, I, I still think they're being disrespected, not only from a futures market, from a but from a night-to-night -night basis. I want to ask you this question, because I think it's an interesting one, uh, from taking a different angle to the playoff matchups that are going to present themselves. In what series will the Nuggets not have the best player in the series? So we run it down. Um, I think it's, I would say that Nikola Jokic is better than John Morant. So in Memphis, the Nuggets are going to have the best player. Um I would say that that as good as Devin Booker is, and he's incredible, I would say that it's Phoenix. I would still lean towards Jokic. Luke is a good question. Who do you think is a better player in the series, 
between Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic in a playoff setting. In a playoff seven-game series, Matt, it could just be a night-to-night thing, right? I, I think it could be Jokic one night and Luka one night. To answer your question, I don't think there's anybody in the West in a seven-game series that is definitively better than Nikola Jokic. I think the potential would be a finals matchup with Giannis. That's the only person I think that can compete with him uh, on a night-to-night basis. But in the West, I think it's Jokic by far, actually. I think one of the, the keys with when I, I look at Luka is I'm really worried about the fatigue factor from his high usage rate throughout the season. These heliocentric mm-hmm. offenses tend to wear down. So that's another kind of thing is like you, Jokic, just the usage rate and minutes are reasonable. Like he's not having to put in a lot of work and that's versus Luka, who's basically Sisyphus trying to drag the boulder up the hill. Um, so yeah, other guys like Steph and Kawhi, I like, I'm, I'm comfortable saying Steph, right. But I do think, it's an interesting question of of like Steph's impact overall and the way that he manipulates defenses versus Jokic. It's pretty cl- like, I think that's honestly pretty close. Um, the Warriors are, I think rightfully the toughest challenge for Denver. We saw the matchup challenge that they presented last year, but that was again, without Murray and MPJ and without a number of additions, like the Nuggets loaded up on defenders, right? They had KCP, they added Bruce Brown, they drafted Christian Brown. They have a lot of answers now. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, but I think at plus 1100 to win the title, I do think that they are being underrated. Um, I do want to bet the title and not the conference for a number of reasons. The Nuggets would be probably dogs in an Eastern Conference series, Boston, Milwaukee, maybe Brooklyn. Yeah, probably Brooklyn. All three of those teams would be favored in the series versus Denver. So you'd still be having to to hedge with a favorite, which is less profitable. But I honestly kind of like Denver's matchup versus all three of those teams. I like them versus Brooklyn. I like them like yeah, the Bucks. I think it'd be tough as you mentioned with Giannis and the physicality, but a lot of opportunities here again, as always, if the nuggets can stay healthy, which is a question for every team in the league. Uh, we'll turn now to the most important covers this is the mic drop, whatever, whichever are the biggest stories coming out of the weekend. The Brooklyn Nets slipped by the Miami heat on Sunday by one point, but Kevin Durant suffered a knee injury when Jimmy Butler fell into him. An MRI was taken on Monday morning and with an MCL sprain, KD is going to be reevaluated in two weeks. Jeff Stotts, who does great injury work on Twitter has said that the average days missed is 18. The average games missed for an MCL sprain grade one is about 6.2. So he's looking at about missing six games. Um, let's look first at the MVP market Durant, I think has been kind of a, a sleepy candidate there for a number of reasons, still trying to get up the hill and and take over the Celtics, which that's a tough hill to climb. Boston stabilizing has a lead. I think it's going to be close to the end. My kind of question here is, you know, Katie's missed a handful of games for rest management. This is the kind of injury that you're always worried about with Katie if he misses, he, there's actually very few games this week. Next week, they have five games. And starting in next week, they have five games in eight days. And he'll be kind of reevaluated. How many games do you think Durant can miss with this injury based off of rest projections for the rest of the year and still be eligible for MVP? If I were the powers that be for the Brooklyn Nets, I would err on the side of caution. Because I've seen a KD-led, healthy Brooklyn Nets team dominate the league, right? They are 18-2 and in their last 20 games. I know what their potential is. I know what they can do. So let's make sure that Kevin Durant is 100% healthy heading into the playoffs. So if it's two weeks, if it's four weeks, if it's even six weeks, Matt, I would actually 
just take my time. There's really no rush. What's the point of trying to win these games here in January when, you know, the, the real games happen in April. So in my opinion, I think this takes him out of the MVP race. Um, I don't think there's really value there anymore because I think it's a minimum of two weeks and I think they are going to err on the side of caution. Maybe not the six weeks that I'm proposing, but it's going to be closer to a month in my opinion. Yeah, I think you also have to be concerned about this not being the only injury he gets, right? It's possible February, March, he gets an ankle or a hamstring or whatever. They have to be cautious with him. This is why consistently, and Brandon Anderson's talked about this on our MVP pods about how there's an age range that you want to stick with for MVP. And this is kind of why is like guys are more likely to suffer small minor injuries as they get older and they'll be more patient coming back because they have to kind of take care of the, of the bodies and they don't just snap back the way that the young guys do. Um, the Nets do have a five game lead for the play in tournament. So they're in pretty good position there. I actually think with the team strength and the way this team is playing on defense, they're going to be live in a lot of these games, even without Durant, depending yeah. on what the number is. So I don't think that they're necessarily sunk. They'll probably lose this game coming up to Boston this week, but in general, um, I think the Nets are going to be okay. I, I would say that definitely now is not the time to bet Durant because the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to, like, oh, he's only going to miss two weeks. And then it's like, well, he's, he's not feeling great. It's going to be another week. Uh, he's not responding well. It's another week. This happens. And so you need to be cautious. There'll be an opportunity to bet Durant later if he is going to make a push for the MVP. Um, speaking of the play-in tournament, the team that the Nets are five games up on for the play-in tournament are the New York Knicks, who have won four in a row. They're facing Milwaukee at home on Monday night. This is a number that I saw this has been true for the last couple of weeks and it's been really interesting to see. Um, so <laughs> the Brooklyn, the, the, I'm sorry, the New York Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks <laughs> are top 10 in both offense and defense schedule adjusted at dunks and threes. They have a top 10 offense. They have a top 10 defense. Are, are the, are the Knicks good? Albert, not just okay. Are the Knicks actually good? And one thing to note, they're doing this without R.J. Barrett, right? Arguably their second or third best player. Um, I think they're good. I think the issue with the Knicks, especially early on, was on the defensive side. Um, but more recently, they've just been playing really, really good defense with Grimes and McBride and those guys getting getting at it on the perimeter. Um, but I would say that some of those numbers are a little inflated, Matt, like they played a uh, Golden State before Christmas. Golden State didn't have anybody. They only had 94 points. Houston only 88 points the other week. Phoenix 83 points. I mean, those are very, very low numbers, almost outliers in today's NBA. So some of those defensive numbers are inflated. But I do think this team is good. Also, I do think the East as a whole is not as good. So it helps the Knicks um, if they're just a little above average to to be able to beat up on these teams. Knicks win total, which is up at FanDuel, is 41 and a half, um, which is, I think, is about right in line. It's not necessarily all that far off from their preseason number, and they've been better, but they're only 22 and 18 in record. This is part of it is you could be better, but you actually got to get the wins in order to make up the ground. The biggest kind of warning sign for the Knicks is this um, they are 27th in opponent allowed three point rate, and that's a lot. And then you look at the percentage, they're number one in opponent effective three-point percent, effective field goal percentage on three-pointers. That's a number, every stats expert, every team analyst for for either in the media or in a, for a team, every stats analyst tells me that three-point 
percentage is the most luck variant stat. So if they're allowing a lot and they're number one in that category, there's probably some regression coming and that's obviously going to hurt them in a big way. The other numbers are good. Like they're good at the rim. They, their foul rate, their four factors are good. They, they have a lot of promising things defensively, but I do think, um, you know, they do have a turnover problem. They don't turn the, they don't turn opponents over that much and their defensive rebounding percentage isn't great, even with Mitchell Robinson, but you know, they allow a low percentage and there's, they're not super high in fouls. I do think they're though that this there's probably they're probably not quite as good as the 22 and 18 four game win streak, but I do think they might settle in right around that number of 41, which would be, I think, a successful season for them. One other thing, Matt, that I want to point out is Julius Randle is playing out of his mind right now. Um, A lot of it is the the, just the sheer minutes, Matt, that he's playing. I think he's been above 40 in like six of the last seven games. And the one that wasn't 40 was 39 minutes. So the fact that this guy is playing over 40, I think he's been under 30 once in the last 14 or 15 games. So I think those minutes are going to catch up. Hopefully RJ Barrett gets back soon for them. But yeah, uh, you know, Julius Randle, just look at his point totals in his last few games, 32, 25, 28, 35, 41. He's been, you know, a man on a mission. He is in his physical prime at 20 years old but he's going to have to get those minutes down. And that's something that we've known with coach Thibs, right? For, for many years, he runs those starters into the ground and he may lose some steam towards the end of the season. Another team making a push in the Eastern conference are the Chicago bulls who are eight and three in their last 11 back from the dead. There was blow it up. This like bulls fans lost their fucking minds for about two weeks with how with this team and i was like guys you gotta sell down it's it's just a losing streak it's a it's okay no like everything is terrible they're awful the worst team ever and then i like i will tell you i took advantage of it their win total dropped to 37 and a half in the market and i bet the over um i think they're gonna be at least above that maybe close one thing to keep in mind they're 14th in offense 16th in defense they have um a really a really brutal schedule so far so as we kind of like look at the overall kind of tapestry of their season they're 15th in net rating but they have the had the third toughest overall schedule the fourth toughest offensive schedule and the second toughest defensive schedule they haven't just faced tough defenses or tough offenses they've just they faced both and they still managed to get there at 19 and 21 um i still think there's value on this team with where the market is at on them uh their current number is 39 and a half the over is plus 100 at FanDuel. i think this will probably wind up as an as an over 500 team zach levine is stabilized they had a players only meeting and basically told zach levine to quit playing like an asshole and zach levine quit playing like an asshole and they've just played a lot better i i'm buying chicago bull stock right now not only is Zach Levine not playing like an asshole, Matt, but he was 6 for 12 on threes last game, 11 for 13 the game before that. He's been on fire. He's shooting over 40% from three now on the season, so he's improved so much. Um, and the most, impre- the most impressive thing with Chicago, Matt, the issue with them last year was they were playing really well. They started off hot, but they were losing against all the good teams. This year, they are on fire against the top teams in the East. I think they're 7-1 and one against the – the Celtics, Sixers, and Nets, that is super impressive. That is not what we expected out of Chicago. So these are very impressive wins. And hopefully you're right, man. Hopefully Chicago can can move forward and, and get some wins because there's a lot of talent on this team, that's for sure. You know, there's seven and nine versus teams under 500, and that's how that balances out. And I will say it's worrisome whenever you have a team. Like I'll say, like, this team's not going anywhere. They're not going to make the yep. make a playoff run. But 
that number at seven and nine versus teams under 500 will stabilize towards above 500. They've already lost enough that it's going to cost them in the overall win total at the end of the season, but it'll stabilize more towards an over 500 record versus sub 500 teams, even as the other side will probably stabilize as well with them facing the better teams because they're facing the Boston Celtics on Monday. And I'm, I'm, I'm not betting it. I'm on the under on that game, but uh, I would imagine that Boston probably focuses in and gets some revenge for losing three <laughs> to the Chicago Bulls this season, which is wild. Two more teams to get to. Let's shift to the Western Conference. Those Los Angeles Lakers, they've won five <laughs> in a row. They're facing the Denver Nuggets on Monday. Um, the Lakers are just one game out of the play-in at 19 and 21. They are just one game back of the Warriors in the loss column for sixth in the playoffs. Like they could have a playoff spot by the end of the week. They could be in a playoff spot by the end of the week, which is crazy. Uh, they're just three games back for the division lead. Russ is playing well. LeBron's doing his thing. He's been a monster at 38. Nothing stops LeBron. Absolute king shit. Uh, I don't really know what to make of this team. I think a lot of it's been they faced. Not only have they had home games, They've had home games versus specifically teams that I don't trust in LA in those <laughs> spots. Uh, Heat and and Hawks being two of them. But their rest of their schedule is home heavy and it's weak opponent. They have more rest advantage games than disadvantage. AD might be back sometime. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Lakers and, and where the rest of the, where this whole thing is headed? Yeah, let's let's give credit where credit is due. They're on a five-game winning streak, and Matt, they were underdogs for all five games. That's yeah. so impressive to win outright as an underdog once, let alone five times in a row. Three of their three of those games were on the road. Um, this the the schedule was light, right? They played Charlotte, Atlanta twice, Miami, who was going through at the time, you know, up and downs and they were in LA for like four days there. So, you know, LA, LA nightlife is undefeated, like you said. And then the, the win against the Kings was super impressive because De'Aaron Fox had a great fourth quarter there, but you're right. I think the Lakers are playing a lot better. I think they're uh, understanding the roles. The flowers I want to give out is to Thomas Bryant. The guy's been balling by far the best big man that they've had outside of AD uh, during this run. So He's not only scoring the ball, but he's rebounding the ball very well as well. So props to the Lakers. Big game tonight in Denver for sure. Lastly, the Phoenix Suns are 1-9 and nine in their last 10 games. Devin Booker is still out for at least several more weeks with the groin injury, lingering groin soreness, never words you want associated with each other. Um, the word around the league is that the problems are, are beyond just Booker, that Chris Paul got banged up the other night, but there's just like a lot of talk about the chemistry with this team not being right. Uh, they have slid significantly. The offense has absolutely dropped off a cliff. Um, there's a lot of concern, I think, on the offensive end with this team. Uh, Phoenix in the last two weeks over cleaning the glass, 29th in point differential, 30th, dead last in offense, 11th in defense. So my question for you is, is this a buy low spot or is there a risk of things kind of spiraling off if they can't get things stabilized before book gets back? Yeah, that's a good question, Matt. From, from my perspective, I, I don't think I can really expand too much on the suns. I just think they they're in a state where they potentially need a move, right? They, yeah. not, it wasn't only Deandre Aiden. It was only Devin Booker's injury. 
Cameron Johnson was hurt. Cameron Payne now is hurt. Um, the whole Jay Crowder cloud hanging over them. So there's just a lot of unrest, even the, the, the ownership thing, right? The entire year. So um, from a betting perspective, I think there are going to be spots from a night-to-night basis, but a long-term outlook here, unless they make a move, I'm going to stay away. Let's, as we every week do, let's do, if you had to bet the awards, we'll let you know if we've actually bet these, but a lot of cases is just checking on where the market is. We'll go through these. For MVP, uh, my pick would be Nikola Jokic currently right now. I still think that he's the best value on the board. The combination of the numbers that he's put in, the way that the Nuggets are playing, the number one offense in the league, uh, number one in BPM, he at dunks and threes as of right now is number one he's passed luca him and luca are basically going back and forth we talked about last week this being a two-man race i'll go ahead and i'll i'll, I'll take uh Jokic right now if i'm doing parlays rackums or whatever i'm i'm gonna go ahead and put in Jokic as the guy right now i do want to ask you though jason tatum's now slid to plus 390 is this the buy low spot on jason tatum with the celtics still number one in the east I think if we look at it from a from a perspective or a lens of it being a four man race, so Luca, uh, Luca, Jokic, Giannis, and Tatum. Tatum is fourth on that with the longest odds. I think from that perspective, it's great value. But if you add all the other players from Embiid, Durant, those guys coming back in, potentially Steph Curry joining the fold soon too. I don't know it's if it's a, a Tatum spot. You sold me on the fact that you know Tatum is not is not really a a legitimate MVP candidate moving forward until um, he just does more for his team or until the Boston Celtics are far and away better than everyone else. And right now they're just, they're just right there with the nets and and the Sixers and, and the teams and the, the rest of the teams in the East. One thing I do want to add though, if Durant's injury is going to play a big effect on the Brooklyn nets, maybe this is a chance for the Celtics to separate themselves. Yeah. But until I see them, uh, do better. Uh, I'm going to stay away from from Jason Tatum. Sixth man of the year. I have a new entry, as I seem to every single week in this award. I did actually bet this one, though. I'm on Bogdan Bogdanovich. And if you're going like, what? <laughs> where, where where did he come from? Well, exactly. Um, if we kind of look at the last 15 games, which is kind of where I, I started looking at this, um, he's playing the last 11. He's averaging 17.4. He's leading the league in scoring off the bench in those last 15 games. I think it's likely that he continues to come off the bench with the kind of options that they have. Like those got like the Hawks are really big on AJ Griffin and the Hawks have Deandre Hunter back in the fold, like all of these types of things. He's plus 3,200. That's a ridiculous number for, for that guy, as well as there's another kind of wrinkle on this, which is don't think it's inconceivable. The Bogdan gets traded. And if Bogdan gets traded from the Hawks somewhere, he probably comes off the bench wherever he lands. And if he lands, he's probably going to a contender. And if he's getting attention as a guy that's making an impact on a contender and he's putting up the points, then I think Bogdanovich is worth a sprinkle at plus 3,200. Can you manifest them going to Milwaukee? That's supposed to happen a few years ago. So it'd be nice for that to to come into fruition. But yeah, so so Matt, so I started doing player props this season, right? Uh, From a night-to-night basis. And the Atlanta Hawks are one of the teams I actually stay away from because there are so many versatile guys around the same tier in terms of like usage rate and, you know, skill level. But Bogdan Bogdanovich has been the one constant for them for the last month. So I, I will say that's a great bet, great look there because um, he's a consistent performer for the Hawks, even though there's turmoil with them on and off the court. For me, I just have a question regarding Jordan Poole. I don't understand why his odds... Matt are getting longer 
each week that we do this. For the season, he's averaging 20.6 points per game, 4.4 assists, 2.5 rebounds. Those two don't really mean anything. It's really about points per game. So 20.6 for the season, and with Steph Curry out for the majority of December, he averaged almost 27 points, 26.8 points per game in December, and his odds are getting worse. Make it make sense to me. He's starting. That's it. With Steph out, he's having a start, right? So there's a kind of a a two-pronged thing. You can say, well, yeah, but by the end of the season, he'll still qualify because he'll come off the bench more than he starts. The voters will remember, though. And the voters won't remember clearly. Like This is an interesting example of how bias will impact this award. If we get to the end of the season and Poole is the leading candidate of eligible players in scoring off who play off the bench enough games, the voters will say, well, yeah, but he bumped up all of his numbers in those games where Steph didn't play. Yeah. Which like, I would actually argue kind of like six man, maybe that needs to be part of the equation, right? Is like not just your ability to come off the bench and score, but to fill in when you're when you're needed to start, that should maybe be part of the requirement. But that's not how the award is considered. You're supposed to come off the bench and boost that second unit. So that to me is why, like, I still haven't bet pool any more than I did in preseason. I have one bet mm-hmm. on him in preseason. Still don't think he's going to get there. Um, the percentages still aren't aren't stabilizing. Uh, the Warriors had some some tough losses over the weekend, and with with how it kind of factors in plus if clay has to miss any sort of time pool starts again yeah. this might really get kind of dicey in terms of the number of games played so that's why i don't think pool is eligible this continues to be a very random award westbrook has come back down to plus 150 i'm still not there i'm just um it's getting late in the year and the narrative is really strong i'm still not there on russell westbrook and i'm willing to go ahead and take the l if he winds up being the one that wins uh most improved player i said last week i'll go ahead and go back to the well on this it's Tyrese Halliburton for me plus 450 I don't understand why his numbers aren't shortening um I would argue that there's more all-star buzz for Tyrese Halliburton than Shea Gilders Alexander who's the favorite for this award now I bet Shea at big numbers and then early season and Shea's numbers are better and Shea's amazing Shea's a better player than Tyrese but like the conversation is shifting heavily towards Tyrese Halliburton and what he's accomplished. The Wally Zerbiak thing only put more attention on it. And like everyone wants him to be an all-star now because of the wannabe all-star thing. Plus look, the thunder are sliding still. The thunder are down to 13th in the Western conference, four games under 500. They are six and four in their last 10. Um, The jazz are three and seven in their last 10 with Lori Markkinen, who I think should win the award given how he's played. But the Indiana Pacers are still in a playoff spot. They're eight and two in their last 10. They're only three games back of the four seed for the division. Like Tyrese Halliburton, to me, at plus 450, I think is gaining a lot of the momentum. I don't know if that's going to stabilize or hold, but for right now, I, I definitely think Halliburton at plus 450 is the play. Yeah, there's no question to me Halliburton is an all star. Um, I guess the award here is MIP. So for me, I think. Laurie, we talked about Markinen last week, and he had a massive jump heading into today's odds. I think he had that 49-point against Chicago performance, and I think that that's what really bumped him up. Honestly, I don't know what to bet, but if you're looking for another guy to n- take a massive jump, I think it's going to be Tyrese Maxey in the next couple of weeks. Um, he's played a lot better since his return. His last two games, 26 and 23 points. He's taking over six and a half threes a game, which is crazy, and... Um, I think if you're just looking for like CLV, if you're like Matt trying to build out a portfolio of futures, I think his plus 8,000 
number is going to be closer to 5,000 or even 4,000 by next week. So um, I like Tyrese Maxey at plus 8,000 for those odds. And then finally, defensive player of the year. Um, we're in alignment on this. It's Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, last week, we told you that he didn't, I said, you got to bet him now. He's going to be a minus. He needs to be a minus. He's already minus 105. Uh, yeah. It's already moved. So look, if Jaron stays healthy, and I, I I was thinking about this because one of the arguments against Jaron is, well, yeah, but he can't stay on the floor because of the fouls. If we look at the history of this award, it's all been big men and big men throughout the course of NBA history have always had foul trouble. Like you're going to pick up more fouls if you protect at the rim. And I just don't think that that, that voters are going to hold fouls against him. Maybe they should, right? Like this is again, a differential in, in how we talk about the award between how we should talk about the award and how we do talk about the award, how the award is voted on. Like to me, I, I'll just tell you, like, I still think it's Bam Adebayo or OG Ananobi. Those are the two best defenders in terms of their switchability and versatility. Yeah. But Jaron's impact is through the roof. This team was 15th in defense. And now they're first. Like, this is the – Jaron's impact is insane. It's incredible. He's got the block stats. He's got all – again, un, unless there is a injury that fluctuates this, Jaron Jackson Jr. right now is – he is way further ahead of the field than this number indicates. Talk about impact. I think he is the single swing player in the Western Conference, um, Matt. So we talk about John Morant. We talk about, you know, Desmond Bain as being important for the Memphis Grizzlies. I think when Jaron Jackson is playing, and I, I read somewhere that his foul rate is actually the best of his career. I know it, it's bad right now, and it seems really bad, especially in bad games. Matt, you can fact check me on that. But I, I read somewhere that this season – He's actually fouling at a lower rate per minute than yep. in previous seasons. So he is, you know, improving or maturing in that aspect. So I do like JJJ. Uh, one guy I wanted to point out is Rudy Gobert. I know he's not going to win this award. He's a multiple time, you know, three time winner already. Um, but at plus 10,000, I believe he has the 13th best odds. If you're looking for COV, and again, COV doesn't really cash, but he's, you know, top 13 right now. I'm, I think he's going to end the season like top six, top seven range. He's second in the NBA in rebounding and the Timberwolves are starting to win. They've won four straight games. And if they can continue to win, I think his odds are going to get shorter and shorter. My only thing here is that your CLV only has real value in two situations. One on a cash out, which the books have gotten very stingy on award cash out opportunities. And two, if you're, trying to build a position to where you can hedge with a favorite with the guy that's going to win later. Cause you've already built up a longer position to lock in yeah. profit. I don't know if I would say that I can count on Rudy to finish top three. I agree that his number is going to go down. Like I agree. There's value from the perspective of if you define value as this number will be shorter later and you'll be able to look yeah. at that and go, I got this, but I don't know how to ap apply it because I don't necessarily know that Rudy's going to finish top three in voting. And if he's not top three in voting, you don't really have an edge in being able to vote the other two guys. So I, I agree with you that he's going to go down. Like he was really great last week. Like he was, he had some games where he was absolutely fantastic, both on the NBA bet stream that I did on Wednesday uh, versus the Blazers. And then the follow-up game versus the Clippers. Like they, Rudy's been, been, been very good. I just don't know that, especially with the amount of fatigue that there is about him right now, um, yeah. that he's got a real chance of cracking top three for that. So I agree with you that he'll have CLV, but you know, can't can't eat CLV. So well, it's it's triple J all day, anyways. Yeah.
Absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up for buckets. Thanks for joining us. You can follow Albert on Twitter at Analytics Capper. You can follow me on Twitter at HB Basketball. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. You can follow the, find the podcast as well on YouTube and in the Action Network app. The best way for you to track your picks, get up to the second information on where the bets and money are coming in. And you can find all of our great shows, including the Action Network podcast as they get set for the NFL playoffs. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow with a Best Bets episode. Until next time, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.